how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters. Did Home Alone, Rowan John uses career, the greatest movie never made, and how Jackie Chan creates perfection through failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Since elementary school, Dana Schwartz has been writing full-length books. Today, she's known for her work as a writer, author, and podcaster. Most recently, she published the book Anatomy, A Love Story, which was recently chosen as a pick for Reese Witherspoon's book club. Set against the backdrop of 1830s Edinburgh, this is a gothic tale full of mystery and romance. Inspired by grave robbers and the burgeoning Edinburgh surgical academic scene in the 19th century, this is a deliciously gruesome tale about the lengths one will go for their true passions. In this interview, Dana talks about being a prolific writer, creating leverage from her Twitter account, how work begets more work, why the YA genre is more about marketing these days, and how novice writers can possibly break into the industry today. I mean, I have been writing from the time I was like a kid, like I was writing books, like literally like printing books with like title pages from when I was like, you know, in elementary school, I was just a big reader. Like I loved reading books when I was a kid. And so I wrote books. That was just like how I entertained myself. Like I never really thought that I would make it as an actual like writer, just because I'm like from the. Midwest and my parents are not in creative fields and I just didn't really know like how anyone goes about actually becoming a writer but it was just something I always loved to do because I love to read and then I went to college and I was actually pre-med in college because I assume like okay you like you enjoy writing on the side as your little hobby but you know you have to have a real adult professional job um, but I was unsurprisingly miserable and so decided my senior year of college, really like after I had made it through organic chemistry and all the worst parts about being pre-med, like, okay, I'm just going to try and like throw everything into becoming a writer and see what happens. So I sent like cold emails to every editor I could find for like online publications and tried to start freelancing and started working in, you know, magazines and online media when I, you know, graduated from college 
started writing books. And then it was just sort of like a, a gradual slash sudden process from there. You know, fortunately for me and maybe unfortunately for my mom, I have not needed to apply to med school yet. <laughs> Did you ever get overwhelmed? Because the business has changed a bit. I mean, there's so many people going to self-publishing versus traditional versus how many ways or way to possibly break in. Like what was, what was, was it just attrition for you or what kind of made it click? Yeah. I mean, that's the crazy thing is like whenever people ask for like advice of how to make it as a writer, also like, because I work in TV too, people I think want like the clear path of like, oh, this is what you do. This is who you email, right? For this place. And then they'll get you a job here. And like truly every writer's path is different, which is the most annoying answer in the world, but it's fully true. Um, I mean, it was attrition for me. It was like a lot of cold emails to editors. I think what really gave me a leg up, and again, this isn't something that's like necessarily able to be replicated. I was going to be like replicable. And then I got nervous that I wouldn't know how to pronounce that word, uh, mid word. Uh, When I was a senior in college, I started this parody Twitter account called Guy in Your MFA, just like making fun of like pretentious MFA lit bros, like literature bros. And it like got some attention and it got me noticed. And so I sort of used that to like reach out to editors. And like, I think that was the first time like book agents noticed me. And like, obviously I had to like back it up with like actual ideas and like book ideas that were not just, you know, here's a Twitter account I have, but it helped me get a foot in the door. And so I sort of leveraged that Twitter account into making contacts with editors and I think writing and probably most creative fields are industries that reward um, contacts and work begets more work. So it's like, you know, I wrote a book and then an editor read that book and wanted me to write something else. And I wrote a column and someone else read that column and had an idea for me to write something else and reached out. And so it's like things beget more things. Um, But it was really exciting to get the chance to write my latest book, uh, Anatomy, is really just like, it feels really mine and that it was an idea I had. It was like everything I wanted to write and I got to write it like exactly the way I wanted to write it, which was sort of rare at this point in my career. And it felt very exciting to get to do that and to to have uh, readers I seem to respond to it. Did that pitch or those early pitches in the Twitter did that yeah. change your tone a little bit? Did you kind of go more comedic or how do you kind of see your voice today based on the last couple of years? Yeah, that's a great question. I think sort of because I came up on Twitter, I, that feels like such a strange thing to say, but because that was where I first got noticed as a writer and first made connections, I think I was sort of imitating what's kind of like a Twitter voice. Like, I think I sort of like thought that my only lane was this sort of like sardonic, like a little like slightly promiscuous, like depressed Twitter girl, like that that sort of tone that like I had seen other people do. And then I think even like subconsciously, I was imitating that tone. Like I thought that like the only thing people kind of wanted from me was to be like, you know, um, a little ironic and a little detached and a little, um, 
like, you know, heaven may care attitude when it came to like my own history and dating life. Like I mind, like, you know, my eating disorders and like my sexual relationships. Like I just did these things that I thought that you had to do to get noticed on the internet. Also, because, you know, that sort of was the currency on the internet in the mid teens, you know, like 2016 on, on Twitter. Um, but I feel really kind of lucky now that I was able to kind of move. I don't want to say like beyond it or like leave it behind because I'm like incredibly grateful for Twitter and also for that tone that helped me, I think get noticed as a writer, but like something like anatomy, which is, you know, and it's an earnest novel. It's not ironic. It's just like a, a, a book that I wrote out of an idea I had that I would really like in many ways, it feels more vulnerable than like writing about my sex life because there's no like irony to hide behind. It has to be very like, you know, this is just a thing I like. Here's a novel I wrote. I hope you enjoy it. It's like very vulnerable. So yeah, I think definitely Twitter like helped shape my tone into like being snarky and funny. And then it took me a little while to realize that that wasn't the only thing I could do or the only thing I wanted to do. So what were some of the logistics of the idea phase for this book? Did you pitch it and sell it? Did you write it on spec? What are some of those stories? Yeah. So what's kind of wild is like, I've seen a lot of places say that this is my debut. Like this is my first novel. Um, and it's not, it's my fourth book. It's just the first book that anyone has cared about, which is why I think how these sort of like, quote unquote, like overnight success things happen is just because people don't really see the work that goes in if they don't notice it. Um, so this is my, my fourth book. I had written three books, three books prior, and I had a fellowship in Scotland at this place called Hawthornden which is like, it was a writer's retreat where for a month, I just went there to like write and read and they had no Wi-Fi, and it was a lot of walking and it was a lot of quiet. Um, and it was really wonderful. And I already, I, I knew in the back of my mind, I wanted to write a book about body snatchers in 19th century Edinburgh, just because I'm so fascinated by like the morbid elements of it and how thematically resonant it is. This idea of like digging up dead bodies to help heal other living people. And the fact that it was a real historic, you know, occurrence and I love history and I, I wanted to set a book in that world, but it took me a little while to sort of land on what I wanted the actual story to be. And I wanted it to be a love story between a woman who wanted to be a surgeon and a, a grave robber, you know, a resurrection man. And I pitched the idea to my book agent, I think in just like a fugue state, I wrote the entire pitch, like a, like a three page, like outline of the whole book, which changed, but like a three page outline of the basic story of the book on a flight from New York to LA, just in like a full, like Wi-Fi off focus, write it out. And so I wrote, um, an outline of what I wanted the book to be. I revised it with my agent a little bit and we submitted it to editors, like a book proposal. Like I didn't write the whole book. I wrote a few sample chapters. I wrote an outline and I wrote like, you know, themes and things I wanted to explore. And so I got the, the 
the book deal with that and then wrote it and edited it and published it straight from there. I think like when you're published with like one of the, they call them like the big five, like a major publishing house, the um, process is a little more rote than it might've been, you know, trying to self-publish or do otherwise. For something like this, and this is kind of a weird question, maybe, would you say in a pitch like that, premise comes from research and theme comes from your personality? Like, how do you think about those things? Oh, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. I think like, definitely I did a lot of historical research. Um, and I took a lot of like actual plot points from real history. Like the idea that they used to pull teeth from poor people's mouths and pay them for those teeth and then implant them in wealthy people's mouths, just thematically, historically, is fascinating to me. And I feel like that real historical thing, like gave me a jumping off point for a lot of the book. I also just wanted to write in a setting and in a tone that felt like exactly like I wanted to read when I was a teenager. Like I was a teen that gravitated towards like the spooky and dramatic and theatrical. Like I loved my chemical romance and nightmare before Christmas. And I feel like this is maybe giving the impression that I was a little more of like a hot topic teen than I was. Like I wasn't, I was like a straight A student who never missed curfew and like loved musical theater. And so I feel like I kind of, even after I wrote the outline, but before I started writing, I kind of like did like a made my mind blank and then just like word vomited all the tonal things and settings and elements that I want in this book. I'm like, okay, if I'm re if I pick up a book called anatomy, a love story about a, you know, girl who wants to be a surgeon in 1800 Scotland, what are the elements that I want in this book? Like, what would I expect as a reader? And I just sort of like put all those things in. I was thinking like, you know, just like no bad ideas, blue sky thinking. And I was like, all right, a theater. We want like, I want like sort of a grand guignol, like macabre, spooky theater. I want a ballroom. I want graves. I want cemeteries. I want, you know, to see a surgery in progress. Like I wanted to sort of deliver to the reader as rich an atmosphere and as fun a reading experience as I could. You think, I'm sure you grew up reading YA. Do you think YA is different today? I mean, is anything different about it as opposed to if this were more for a general audience, I guess, are the emotions heightened or, I mean, kids today pretty much get everything. I mean, how do you kind of see it? Yeah. You know, the truth is I, I really do kind of believe that YA today is more a marketing decision than anything else. Like I wrote this book, I've written, you know, for adult audiences and I've written for television. Like I wrote this book the way I wanted to write it. I didn't like dumb it down for kids in any way. I think just maybe the, the book market is maybe a little more willing to accept like, you know, sort of like a more dramatic heightened like genre story and like a love story in the YA space. And it also was important to me when I was speaking with editors about selling this book, that was like the main question I asked editors. I was like, or the main concern I had, I was like, I don't want to dumb this book down in any way. And I don't want to cut any of the blood or gore or surgery because I think one kids are able, I mean, like young adults are fully capable of reading and understanding that. And that's the type of story I want to tell. So it was 
very important to me not to change this book because, you know, publishing sort of categorizes it as a YA. I think the reason that I did decide to market this book as a young adult novel instead of a novel for the adult audiences is because I think there is so much crossover. I don't think adults really worry or care about reading what is like a quote unquote YA book because Mm -hmm. who cares? And also historically when this is happening, the character would be a late teenager, a girl Mm -hmm. faced at the precipice of marriage would be about 17. And to me, the themes of this book were figuring out that thing that you love to do, that you want to do for the rest of your life and reckoning with the emotional problems and joy and ecstasy that comes from what is ostensibly your first crush. And those are both things that I think young adult and teenagers are dealing with today. Like those are, those are thematically young adult issues. And so I, I thought that it felt like it was a fit with the young adult audience, but no, yeah, I didn't like want to change the, the, the writing in any way. Like, and I hope adults pick this up too. I just think book publishing is such a weird industry, right? Like something today, like catcher in the rye might've been marketed as young adult if it, you know, came out today. And it's so hard to like reckon with just, we're just trying to sell books and get people to read them. And I think, I hope young, young adults realize that this book is for them and thematically interesting, but I hope it doesn't preclude adults from wanting to read the story. Yeah, definitely. Any marketing gets very categorical at a certain point. So we've talked about a lot of the marketing stuff. Tell me about your actual writing process. I mean, you've mentioned an outline, a pitch, but then what does it look like after that? Yeah, um, I'm a I'm a big procrastinator. My writing strategy is usually uh, procrastination and then panic. Um, I kind of need to write a book in my head before I can like put it on paper. I find that like some of my most productive writing is truly like in bed with my eyes closed before I go to sleep. Like I actually write actual sentences and then remember them in the morning and like write them down. Um, my So my approach is like have an outline that's less of an outline and more just like paragraphs, like three, four pages of everything that happens in the book. Mm-hmm. And I have to know where it ends and who the characters are and like the major plot points. And then once I have that skeleton, I go in and write and have fun. And that skeleton sort of course corrects as I go. I find that like writing a novel for me is like, I have to have like a GPS, like ways on your phone when you're driving. I have to like know where I go, where I'm going. But then it's like, oh, this road is closed. Or I want to make a left here because this street looks interesting. Then like ways, like the GPS will be like recalculating and like change your, your path. So that's really kind of how I, I see myself writing. I see myself as like having an outline that like is subject to change and recalculating if I go down interesting roads. And then do you have, so you do a, a podcast, which I'd love for you to talk about too, books, yeah. TV. Do you have a mental shift? Because when I write prose or fiction versus screenwriting, it feels different. Do you feel different about how you're writing the different styles and everything? Yeah. You know, I kind of think I'm, this is probably like a problem with me that I wish I could address. Like, I think I'm a lot more precious with my fiction. Like 
I have to like gear up to like get in the right headspace to like sit down and, oh, I'm writing my novel. I better have like my cup of tea and my, you know, music. And I, I, I like get my, I like intimidate myself and have to like gear up to get in the right headspace where it's like with this podcast, I have a scripted podcast. So I have to write these scripts like on a pretty continual treadmill, um, but they're well-researched and I'm writing from an outline and I always have deadlines. Like I'm always behind. I'm like, oh God, I have to record this today or it's not going to come out. And so I, I think I like, perhaps by necessity, I'm less precious where I'm just like, oh, got to sit down, got to write noble blood and get going. Um, but I, I kind of wish I could approach fiction writing more with that. I think I would uh, meet my deadlines quicker. <laughs> You think about it is like, because when I started getting paid to write versus just wanting yeah. to write, it's like a hobby, the accountability of having someone waiting on it. Like, yeah, did you kind of set that in place for yourself or how do you, how do you make the deadlines help you actually churn stuff out? Oh, that's my real problem is right. Because you, you get your a book deal and they're like, all right, it's due in six months. And I'm like, great, six months. <laughs> I don't need to do anything where it's like a podcast is like, Dana, if you don't record this today, it won't come out for next Tuesday. Um, so I usually keep myself accountable by like breaking it into 2000 word chunks and telling myself that I have to write 2000 words a day or else, you know, even if they're garbage, I just have to write 2000 words, no matter what, which is a strategy straight from Stephen King and his book on writing. Like he writes, he says like 2000 words a day, every day, no matter what, like, even if he's mid sentence, he'll stop after 2000 words. And he will do it like rain or shine metaphorically, no matter what. And so I try to break it up into chunks and also to think like, all right, if I'm not at least halfway in the next week, I'm not going to be able to finish on time. Like I try to work backwards and like self-impose artificial deadlines, but I might actually like, this is a conversation. Like I might ask my editor to like, I'm working on the anatomy sequel now and I'm already like, oh no, I'm not going to get it done in time. I need more deadlines in place. <laughs> you feel added pressure now with this publicity and Reese's book club and those things. How are you, how are you trying to capture the essence of the first one and some of those thoughts? I mean, for sure. Like this is, it was like really surreal. Like we hit number one on the New York times bestseller list. It was like, people are reading it. They seem to like it. It's like, what an amazing gift as a writer to feel like your work is out in the world and like people enjoy it and are, you know, actually reading it. Um, so I definitely feel that pressure, but I also, I mean, everything I write, I want it. I always want it to be the best it can be. I'm like very much a perfectionist with everything. And so I think even though in theory, I feel that pressure and the excitement of like, you know, writing a book and characters that hopefully people care about, um, I'm a perfectionist with everything. I'm a perfectionist with like tweets. Like I, you know, I, I want everything to be as good as it possibly can be. And I'm my own harshest critic every time. Are there any misconceptions about writing you had, or maybe false beliefs you used to believe before maybe your first book that you now know are no longer true? Yeah. I think people do think of like writing a book as a, fully creative endeavor that you do in like a fit of inspiration. And like, it is a job and I don't think I probably would have recognized, recognized or understood like how much of a job it is until I actually started doing it as a job. Like, 
you have to sit at your desk. Even if you don't feel like it, you got to type words, even when you don't feel like it, like it is creative, but it is also, um, it is an act of, it's an act of creativity, but it's also an act of labor. And I think that people from the outside maybe don't recognize that. Sometimes you're creative and those days are, are like, some days you're inspired and those days come really easy and those days are really fun. But at least for me, most days are not fun. How excited were you about the Neil Gaiman um, blurb on your book? Was that oh unexpected? Or- <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I asked him, so it didn't like come out of nowhere, but like, what a gift. I um, have been a fan of Neil Gaiman since I was literally, I think in fifth grade when I read Coraline and thought like, this is the spookiest, coolest book I've ever read. Um, and then I, of course, read his Sandman uh, comics and American Gods and you know, his, some of his nonfiction. And I think he's just a Norse mythology. I'm like, now I'm just fangirling. He just is such an inspiration as a writer to like exactly the type of writer in a dream world I would want to be, you know, he has this distinctive style and he's just a brilliant storyteller, but he's able to jump between genre and form from adult to young adult, to comics, to, to novels, to nonfiction. And so to, have him even say anything nice about me to have him like even acknowledge my existence. It's just like completely surreal. We'll just do one or two more. Thanks again for your time and everything today. Um, I'd like to ask people generally, like, do you have any other advice for people trying to break in today? Um, just to stick with it or motivational ideas like that? Yeah. I think like the main and hardest part of being a writer is just keeping at it and being persistent not just being persistent, like trying to get published, like also being persistent with your own work habit. Like this is advice that I need to take myself, but like being really consistent and deliberate with your work habits and also being really consistent and deliberate with editing, like knowing that you need to write, but also knowing that you need to edit and editing is a craft and it is as important a part of writing as the actual initial writing in my opinion. Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at brockswinson.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.